He is risen. Before we look at scripture today, <clears throat> I have an announcement that is in one sense sorrowful, but because we know that he is risen, there is a note of, a great note of encouragement and hope. A long time part of our congregation, integral part of our congregation, Leland Hovey, <clears throat> passed away Friday, and his funeral will be this Wednesday here at the church, 11 to 12 will be a visitation, and then 12 will be the service, um, and then there will be, we'll announce later, there will be um, a dinner and so forth at another site. But the last, some of the last words, I asked Leland, lying there in ICU, do you know for sure that you are ready to meet God? His answer was immediate, yes. My hope is in the Lord. That's Easter. That's the resurrection. We sorrow, but not like those who have no hope. We know we'll see them again. Before Jesus ascended into heaven, and this was a 40 days after he arose from the dead, he met one final time with the disciples on a mountain near Galilee and spoke these words. They're found in Matthew 28. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Which, that's after 40 days of him appearing to them. They still, some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. <clears throat> we are here this morning and in gatherings like this for the last 2,000 years. There's an underlying sole reason why we're here. There is one reason we're here. That is because the tomb is empty. When the disciples and Mary Magdalene and a number of women went to the tomb, they were greeted by angels who said several things, but among them, 
Why are you seeking the living among the dead? You're in the wrong place. You're looking for something you're not going to find. He is not here. He is risen. Now, I don't have the English. I don't have the language to point out what a watershed event for all of history that was. That's a small reason why in our world, in Western civilization, we date our entire calendar around Jesus. It's either before Christ or it's A.D., the year of our Lord. So from the resurrection on, the birth of Jesus, his life, we really, every single day, acknowledge the unspeakable importance of what happened on this very first day of the week. It's also significant, I'm not going to get off into this, but have you noticed how frequently there are uh, efforts to change that? It's B-C-E and A-C-E in the calendar now, in the dating. Before the common era, which I have no idea what it means, but it's just anything to say to avoid talking about Jesus. After or before the common era and after the common era, which is utterly nonsense. means nothing. Okay. <laughs> Join the vain attempt that's now 2,000 years old to get rid of Jesus. <laughs> it hasn't worked so far. We're here because he's alive and the tomb is empty. And on the basis of that, what Jesus gave the disciples here <clears throat> in this commission, when he sent them into the world, there are four things that I want us to think about. In the 18th verse, Jesus said, all power is mine. It's given unto me in heaven and on earth. That means what he said, all power. It's the kind of power that is enabling to me and to you when Jesus lives within our hearts. I don't have access to that power until he's a part of my heart and my life. But when I invite him into my heart and I follow him, I have that power. Now, what's, what's the purpose of that power? It's to enable me to walk in an extremely dark, crooked world. One of the main questions that over the centuries, preachers, thinkers, philosophers, Christian philosophers and theologians, the fundamental question is, how do we reconcile the indescribable good news 
of the resurrection and power over the grave and Satan and sin and triumph for eternity and the mess we see. Now, it's always been bad. I know that each generation thinks it's the worst that's ever been seen, but it's not. It's always been bad. But today, we gather here, we see new, fresh, unspeakable crimes every single day in the news. We see the darkness and everything that's going on around the world and the poor suffering that's going on in Ukraine and just unbridled maliciousness. How then, how can we live in a world like that? Where's the victory? Well, the victory is not present banishment of all trouble. Jesus never promised that. In fact, he promised two things. One, in this world, you will have trouble. Now, that's not one of the greatest promises. You know those little we used to have when I was a little kid that little plastic loaf of bread that had these daily promises in it. That's not one of the promises, you know. You will have trouble. Oh, thank the Lord. I'm going out today with fire in my heart. He promised that. He told us. You're going to have trouble. Now, I will never point my finger at any of you and say, you shouldn't fret about those kinds of things. I think, I think all the time, unfortunately. Some of us are wired in different ways. I don't want trouble. I want the car to start every time I turn the key. There's no reason it shouldn't. I, I want everything to work. I don't want trouble. I don't want even a light bulb burning out. I don't want trouble. I want leisure, I want ease, I want smoothness, I want everything to just fit right. Anybody like that here? But Jesus promised a fact, we'll have trouble. But then there's a second promise. Be of good cheer, he said, I have overcome the world. What does that tell us? He doesn't say, you've overcome it. I have. But if I make him the inhabitant of my heart by turning from sin and swearing allegiance to him, worshiping him, walking with him, I have overcoming victory in this world. Because he did and still does and lives in my heart. It's faith. It's faith that as we face all kinds of trouble from minor irritants to death that I don't have the strength to deal with this. But because Jesus is in my heart, I do. 
And I therefore choose, Lord, I trust you that you will strengthen and enable me. And by your strength, Paul said, I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. Has nothing to do with our strength. I was thinking the other day, I think all of us pray. We pray sometimes a bit formal, maybe. But most of the time we talk to God when we pray like we're talking to anybody else. And a couple days ago, this probably pray, pray this, well, at least I pray this every Saturday before getting ready for Sunday when I'm scrambling, trying to figure out what in the world to do and there's a cloud over your head and you can't think and you can't feel and you can't find God. And I'll tell God, Lord, I'm in a mess here. I can't think. I don't know what, what I'm supposed to do. I have no strength at all. And it dawned on me, what am, I, what am I telling him? Like he doesn't know that I don't have any strength? None of us have any strength. Every single one of us here, in the right way, and you'll be glad you came on Easter Sunday, we're bankrupt. Every one of us. We're powerless, strengthless. In the right sense, brainless. I don't know what to do in life. I don't even know what the next day, the next hour brings to me. I don't know. That's why I have to cling to and trust in Jesus. He knows. He knows. Whatever it is, he knows it before it happens. I was reading this weekend or this week all of the Easter accounts in all four of the Gospels. Two of them report, and this is typical human and this God hasn't got a problem with it, but two of them make an issue of the conversation of the number of women that were making their way to the tomb and what was their concern. First of all, they, um, obviously, the fact that he wouldn't be there and had raised from the dead, well, that never occurred to them. They were going there with spices and ornaments, uh, um, ointments and so forth to put with the body. I mean, it never even occurred to them, well, he isn't going to be there because he rose from the dead. Even though, we have to say this, numerous times Jesus told them, I'm going to be crucified, and the third day I'm going to rise from the dead. Over and over, he told them. But it, it didn't sink in. But what were they discussing? What in the world are we going to do about the size of that slab of rock that is rolled over, and they would make a, a cave, they would make kind of a channel in the rock, and they would put a great round stone, flat stone, that could be rolled in that channel to open up the tomb and to close it. And their whole discussion was, how are we going to roll that stone away? What are we going to do about that? Every, both of those two accounts say when they arrived, it says they saw it was already rolled away. The issue that consumed their whole conversation on the trip to the tomb was meaningless. Jesus has already taken care of it. 
I read a bit of a sermon preached long ago where a preacher made the statement that how it seemed sad that here's the Lord of all the earth and he's laid in a borrowed tomb. But he then made the point that really it didn't make any difference that it was borrowed. He wasn't going to be there very long. <laughs> he only needed it less than three days, portion of two and a half. So it's okay that it was borrowed. He wasn't going to be there. There is power for us to endure and to triumph. Second, there is a real sense in which as Christians we participate. That's a second thing. There's a participation with Jesus in his encounter with this world. There's no describing that encounter. The Bible says Jesus is made high. He is high, holy, harmless, set, separate from sin, made higher than the heavens. Yet he came down and worked in a trade all through college. I worked for a builder. Went to school, you know, mostly in the morning, worked all the afternoons um, in construction. I've been around framing crews. Okay, the only people crazier than framing crews are the roofers. But then, if you're around the framing crews very much, you think they're better than the roofers. Um, it's filthy. The language, the subject, you know, just the mood, the anger, the, you know, the builder, of course, is always a jerk. The boss is an idiot. You understand? Jesus came from heaven where the angels sang, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. The angels, it said, covered their faces with their wings because you couldn't even look on the presence of God. There wasn't, of course, any sin at all. It's clean and holy and pure. And Jesus voluntarily left that, clothed himself with a human body, a fallen one, one that needed sleep, that got sick, that got hungry. He clothed himself and restricted himself in a body like ours and walked and taught and worked as a carpenter. The one who spoke the worlds into being without even getting out of his throne, let there be. He's, that same God has a stick of wood with a foot pedal lathe and he's turning it and he's trimming it into a chair leg. The one who spoke the worlds into being. He came into this world restricting himself in a way we can't ever imagine. 
and put up with what his ears had not heard, only knew, but had to mingle with us and this mess of a world. But it doesn't mean that we can't live clean and pure and holy lives in this present evil age. We can. Why? Because Jesus did. He was tempted in every single point like we are, yet without sin. We don't have to participate in all that's going on around us. We just don't have to. We usually do. There's a period in many of our lives when we're immersed in it, but we don't have to. We don't have to talk like everyone who's around us. We don't have to, we don't have to behave like that. We're different in, in an awful world. But God intentionally, like himself coming into this world, he didn't leave us alone, but he said, I'm sending you into that very same world to encounter it just like I did. No one, no one came from higher to lower than Jesus. So we can live in this world and be clean. There's an antiseptic quality that God brings with him into our hearts so that we, we don't have to become infected with everything that is around us. There's participation then. Third, there's a purpose. Jesus said, not only go into the world, but go make disciples and teach them to obey and keep all that I told you. There's another thing. People today feel like, well, you can't. You can't keep God's commandments in this world. Yeah, you can. If you trust Jesus and if you want to. There is victory. There's a purpose that is overriding all of our life. Live for Jesus. Make disciples. Now, <clears throat> how many times, I think a number of us here have probably had someone maybe talk to us a long time after a fact, saying, I watched how you behaved there. I knew you were having a difficult time or whatever, but I saw that you, how you behaved. You didn't go off the rails. You didn't go nuts. You didn't get hateful. You didn't get mean. I watched that. There is, there is an imperceptible witness that we have. We'd never know. We never know what impact we may have. And God is faithful in a fourth promise here to give us an enduring presence. He said, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age, including the end of our lives. He said, I'll never leave you. I will be with you. 
And, and here's what he does as far as being with us. Not only with us to strengthen us, guide us, direct us, teach us, save us, help us. But he convicts. He just keeps at it, keeps at it, keeps at it, keeps at it. I know that there are, you know, untold thousands of people that are watching this service. Um, and so I got to be, I want to be careful. I had an interesting phone call just about three days ago. Person asked if there was a Daniel Morgan at this church. And I said, yeah. Um, and I said, I, I'm, I'm, this is he. Well, this person said, you probably don't even remember me. Gave me her name. I didn't. But then she started telling me the family she was from. And when she encountered me, I was probably 24, 25. Of course, at the pinnacle of knowledge um, at that age. And to make a long story short, she said, I have hated you for all these years. That's, it's, it's over 40 years. And I said, you know, I'm sorry. I don't remember any event. And I was, I put it kindly, I think. I, I'm not sure I remember you. I remember the family, the parents. But I just knew they had a very, two very small children. That's all I can remember. And she said, I've been wrong. I know it. And she said, it's not, it's not your fault. But I took something that you said and I have, she said that word, I've hated you. <clears throat> of course, I couldn't imagine anybody doing that. But she kept saying, I can't go to heaven if I don't deal with this. She said, I got to deal with it. I have to call you. I didn't go into how she found, found me. She's now no longer in the west coast can't remember for sure but far far away moved to another part of the country but I got off the phone and I thought you know even though I don't barely remember her and don't remember any event of involvement that prompted this I thought here for 40 plus years few years about 40 the Holy Spirit was just at her. In those years, what's going on in the world that God had to worry about? All kinds of wars and volcanoes and hatred and floods and hurricanes and mudslides and the world's been a mess. He's been busy. He's had a lot to do. But there was one person out of seven billion, except he knows everyone, one person that he just kept talking to, kept talking to. You can't have that attitude. You can't do that. You can't be like that. You can't harbor that. Man, God is big. <laughs> Covers, fills, he said, do not I fill the whole earth? He knows every thought. He knows everything. So that's also 
what it means when he said, I'm with you always. I'll never leave you alone. That's a note of huge encouragement to the believer. And it really ought to wreck your day. On the other hand, if you're not living right, because he won't leave you alone either. He never quits. He never quits. I used to think when I first got in the ministry, and like I said, when I knew everything, I figured there's all kinds of reprobates around. You know, that's people that have been so hard, gotten so hard that God just finally quit. And I used to think, well, you know, they're just probably half the congregation, reprobates. When I look back now, I think maybe, and I think, and I use the word maybe, I may have run across in all of my years two men that I think might have been what the Bible calls reprobates. They've hardened their hearts to such a point, you can't even talk to them. Maybe, too. Jesus never quits. There were times when I wished he'd leave me alone. Now I'm glad he won't leave me alone. None of us. All of this because of the empty tomb. I want to close with reading. There's no way under the sun that I could ever imitate it. Um, <clears throat> but I'm. this will take a minute and 30 seconds. I want to read closing words of a famous, famous sermon preached by an African-American pastor 60, 70 years ago. <clears throat> and I heard, I listened, I listened to the recording, which is um, unsurpassed. But it was preached, it was preached on a Good Friday. And I think you'll understand it just as I read it. It's Friday. Jesus is praying. Peter's sleeping. Judas is betraying. But Sunday's coming. It's Friday. Pilate's struggling. The council is conspiring. The crowd is vilifying. But they don't know that Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The disciples are running like sheep without a shepherd. Mary's crying. Peter's denying. But they don't know that Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The Romans beat my Jesus. They robe him in scarlet. They crown him with thorns. But they don't know that Sunday's coming. It's Friday. See Jesus walking to Calvary. His blood dripping, his body stumbling, and his spirit burdened. But you see, it's only Friday. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The world's winning. People are sinning. Evil's grinning. It's Friday. The soldiers nail my Savior's hands to the cross. They nail my Savior's feet to the cross. And then they raise him up next to criminals. It's Friday. But let me tell you something. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. 
the disciples are questioning what's happened to their king and the Pharisees are celebrating that their scheming has been achieved. But they don't know. It's only Friday. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. He's hanging on the cross, feeling forsaken by his father, left alone and dying. Can nobody save him? It's Friday. But Sunday's coming. The earth trembles, the sky grows dark, my king yields his spirit. It's Friday. Hope is lost. Death has won. Sin has conquered. And Satan is laughing. It's Friday. Jesus is buried. A soldier stands guard. And a rock is rolled into place. But it's Friday. It's only Friday. Sunday's coming. That's true eternally. In our world, it feels like Friday. But Sunday's coming. 